Welcome back and happy week of Thanksgiving. And this week I have the perfect episode for Thanksgiving. And I have on Lee Grandy, a longtime friend of mine. And he is now the owner and executive chef at Red Maple Catering. He currently just opened their new office or location in Park City, Utah. Uh, but I've been good friends with Lee for such a long time. And it's been amazing watching his journey from a dishwasher to a line cook and just continuing to move up the ladder within the restaurant business and, and to becoming a chef. And now what he has helped start at Red Maple Catering and the unique position they have within the industry. And when you listen to this podcast, you'll hear right away the passion Lee has for the culinary arts and for making people smile and giving them a product that they love and enjoy. Um, and at the end, he gives his turkey special. He talks about some size that he loves to make for Thanksgiving. Um, Lee's an awesome guy. He's super funny. Um, we could talk for hours. We literally have before. And uh, I'm just excited for y'all to get to know Lee and hear his journey and hear what he's doing. Um, I really loved it. And uh, also who's having a big week this week is Engineered Sleep, of course, with Black Friday coming up. Um, I know it's a big... Uh, big kind of shopping day for all of us if we're looking to get some good deals out there. And honestly, there's no better way um, or there's no better time to get the mattress that you've been looking for um, than Black Friday and the days to follow. Their sale goes on to December 1st and it's 15% site-wide. So mattresses, adjustable bases, platforms, foundations, accessories, all that good stuff up to $700 worth of savings and they'll deliver it to you for free um, within two weeks. And uh, again, the sale ends December 1st, so you have a couple of days to do it. There's no codes necessary. Either go to their website, engineeredsleep.com, or go visit them in their showroom in Greenville, South Carolina, and get the deal of the year and get yourself, most importantly, get yourself the mattress that fits you so you are sleeping better at night and in turn performing better on a daily basis. So again, it's an awesome show with one of my really good friends, longtime friends, Lee Grandy. Um, if you enjoy it, please share with some friends and family. Make sure to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcast. And without further ado, here's my conversation with owner and executive chef of Red Maple Catering, Lee Grandy. Welcome to Live Life in Motion, where the goal is to bring you conversations that give you the power of education so you can use those tools to optimize your life on a personal and professional level to better yourself, your community, and those around you. Lee Grandy, dude, who would have thought 10, 15 years ago we'd be sitting here having this conversation? It's a crazy, beautiful journey, Sam. <laughs> crazy journey, you're right. Beautiful, beautiful as well. Um, the first time I remember you working in a restaurant. We were down in Debadu, and uh, I really saw your love for the culinary arts, for food. I remember you explaining the dishes to me. I was like, holy hell, like Lee really loves this <laughs> stuff. Is that is that one of your first experiences, or when did you get into the industry? So um, that was definitely when I became, I guess, a quote-unquote pro because I got paid. Um, I certainly was <laughs> – not a professional by any means during those early days, uh, as anyone who knows me would, would attest to. But um, yeah, so 
you know, I, I my aunt, um, she was a chef in DC and managed uh, a couple restaurants there as well back in the day. And she has a catering company as well in Greenville uh, back home. And uh, so, I mean, you know, and we've always cooked as a family. So like, I think mom, my mom always loved to hear me always reference the fact that my first full sentence was uh, dad cook hot meat. <laughs> <laughs> so, but so I've always loved food and been, and been, you know, involved with it and everything, but um, it was my first, you know, you know, always got to get the high school job. Right. You know? And so uh, down at the beach, I, so I started with the ref, the restaurant you're referencing chive blossom, um, which is still there. Trina and PK are still kicking ass down there. It's, it's insane. Um, but before it was chive blossom, it was a restaurant called Arobasaz. And it was this Nigerian dude, um and mom and then went in there and and uh and was like you know my son's looking for a job <laughs> and, uh, and i think I, I think i was i guess 15 15 or 16 and i was hired as a dishwasher so i for all summer long i peeled shrimp peeled potatoes and washed dishes and i would try to jump online and shit <laughs> and uh and that that though and i and i loved it i loved that but it was the next summer that when i came back when it was chive blossom and when I worked at Chive Blossom, that was when, you know, uh, learning under PK and them, like, it was so just, like, crazy energy and, like, and I'll never forget, Sam, I was, uh, this was the days at Chive Blossom, but I worked there for the summers and then after Old Miss, I started working there full time and that's when I just fell absolutely in love with every bit of it because, yeah, you're 20, 21 and... And I remember being on the line and cooking on the line at Chive Blossom. And this guest came up to the pass. So open kitchen came up to the pass and he had a bottle of champagne and like, I don't know, like a hundred bucks in twenties or something like that. Put slaps the bottle of champagne up there and chucks us each a 20, you know? And, and I just remember being on the line in his red solo cup, drinking champagne, like sauteing some shit. And, 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 you know, with a fresh, you know, fresh bill in my pocket. And I just remember like, this is the closest to a rock star as I'm ever going to get. Like, this is it. Like, this is fucking it. And so, um, that's when, that's when it really, that's when I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the lifestyle, the party, you know, all of that. And, um, and yeah, I mean, that, that, that was it for me. I mean, cause we worked hard and we played hard and it was, it was wild. It was crazy, crazy times down, down. And I think back to like those times, Sam, when you're, like those early days, I mean, I, I can remember going back up to Greenville too, like during that time and throwing a, uh, my fifth, fifth year high school reunion, uh, you know, at the house of Greenville and, thinking what a cluster that event was looking back on it now, you know, now that I do this professionally, you know, uh, it's just, it's just wild. Yeah. But Chive Blossom for me was like, no, no question when I, where I fell in love with, with the industry for sure. Where I, where I really want to hop in is um, what we'll get to in a second is <clears throat> 2016, where you really kind of made a career change in the industry, but kind of tell me your progression from those early years at Chive Blossom to 2016. So, um, so once I, so I, once I worked full-time at Child Blossom, I went from just a line cook to lead saute at dinner and I was running the lunch service. And then, 
Um, I, it was pretty much time for me to kind of spread my wings a little bit and Trina and PK were very, uh, um, very supportive of that. They, you know, wanted me to see me flourish as well. And, um, so I figured bigger stage, bigger scene. So I moved back up to Greenville, um, and started working at high cotton. High cotton at the time was, um, one of the, uh, four sister restaurants of high cotton Charleston and slightly North abroad in Charleston, um, and they opened High Cotton Greenville. Um, I, I think it had been around for like four years or so, five years by the time I joined. And I was just a line cook. And so they were in a chef transition as well. And so <laughs> I was hired there and I had to basically, you know, because I, I was I've never been formally trained in this. So I was very fortunate and blessed to have worked under amazing chefs along the way uh, to get me to where I am now. But um but anyways, because of that, like, I just learned what I learned down at Pauly's Island, you yeah. know, like, and so I get up to High Cotton and, you know, Gary Minnie becomes the chef, you know, this, you know, he worked under Gunther Seeger in Atlanta, Wolfgang in LA back in the late nineties and it's heyday. And so he had a presence about him. I mean, master French chef, right. And, um, awesome guy, but he basically stripped me down of everything I learned and built me back up. And, you know, I had, you know, you know, us like we, we, we've been through the the fraternal system and in yep. college. Right. So it was nothing. Right. It was like, look, we're getting paid to do this. Like, this is not, you know, this is not hard. And, uh, but because of that, he was able to teach me however he wanted to teach me. And so I took it just as that. And I learned a lot. And so he, he's who gave me my proper French technique. Um, and then it was Greg McPhee, who he was a sous chef under um, under uh, Sean Brock at Hust and McCready's in Charleston mm-hmm. uh, when they were winning their James Beard Awards. He was a younger guy, so he taught me how to plate differently, how to approach that style and technique of plating a little bit differently, a little less traditional. Um, and I fell in love with it. Um, it was so sexy to me. And and um, I'll never forget it. It was a group. It was a South Carolina black grouper with chanterelle mushroom risotto and pickled blueberry and like and we garnished with a little jasmine flower and it was like the sexiest thing i've ever seen (laughs) uh but anyway and so then after greg was adrian carpenter and i became a chef under adrian um i I became a uh, an exec sue under him uh, by the time he and i both left high cotton after we were rebranded uh from a buyout and that's when i moved west and under Adrian, he taught me flavor profiles and how to marry those and tweak those to come up with just crazy shit. And um, and so, yeah, I became a chef under him. And then when I moved west, though, it was like my heart and soul was like ripped out because everything we were doing at High Cotton the last two years I was there. I mean, we had the squad, dude. I mean, and, the, and, the, and the, those times are what you're referencing of when all the way up to Greenville when I would see you. And, you know, those days at High Cotton, we were doing stuff that Greenville certainly had never seen. And, um, and it was, it was amazing. We were working with local farmers and, and, you know, truly doing, doing it. And, and then we were bought and rebranded and creatively the direction they wanted to rebrand into was not what I wanted to do at all. And so um, it was time to part ways, but, but, because of that, when I moved west, I wanted to change. I was like, all right, I just want to cook. I don't want to manage. I don't. I just want to 
party, cook, and meet people. <laughs> and, and that's what I did. Bro, that's those what are I did three things you are really jail. good at. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be a pro at them. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, and that's all I did the first couple months in, in Vail when I moved to Vail. And I worked, I, I applied for a level three advanced cook position at a restaurant called The 10th, which is Vail's fine dining on mountain lunch restaurant. And I had never worked just a lunch restaurant gig before. Um, and so you go from the bar at nighttime from midnight to 2 a.m. to then all of a sudden you're getting off work at five o'clock. Well, that leave you know, you're not trained to be in a bar atmosphere like that. So there was a little bit of adjusting that I had to figure out when I took that. But um, but but then the next summer. Uh, at, so after those two months, I called Chef Tim and I said, hey, you really haven't, you have no reason to believe me right now, but uh, you really haven't seen what I do. And, and you know, I'm here now. So, <laughs> you know, let's do this. And, and then I Tim? became his. So Chef Tim McCall, he was the chef at, um, at the tent. And okay. he taught me probably one of the most powerful things I've ever uh, taken from anyone ever. Um, he showed me the power of just treating people with respect and being kind to one another in an environment that traditionally is pretty cutthroat and, yeah. you know, kind of shady and stuff like that. And under Tim, you know, Tim, you know, I, I, I don't think, was he the best chef I worked under? Absolutely not. I taught him stuff left and right, but he, but he was such a phenomenal leader that that I learned so much about leadership from him um and it was mainly through just treating people with respect yeah. and that simple and and I watched the people do things for him that would blow your mind and and it was simply because he treated people with, yeah. with respect and so that really resonated with me and 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 it's something I've carried with him, you know, a long time. And then another thing that I picked up at the tenth was, you know, you went at my days at High Cotton. Our busiest nights maybe would have been three fifty for Valentine's, something like that. Uh, we did seven hundred and fifty people in a three-hour lunch slot at the tenth. <laughs> so, so I learned scale and volume there. And that's like I say, you go, you know, I was managing. 20 cooks, uh, you know, another 10 in pastry to then 60 front of the house, Dang. you know, employees during that time. And, and to manage an operation like that uh, with all those moving parts on that scale, that was definitely what I took away from my time up there for <laughs> sure. And that, that's, a that's when, that's when that kind of segued me into then um, because I was working during the day, I then could work at night uh at a you know a restaurant so i was working at sweet basil a really really high-end restaurant in Vail. uh they do just amazing i was in love with sweet basil uh and the chef there he was leaving to go open his own thing and i had just kind of done that and so i was like mm. so i stayed at the tent and that allowed me the opportunity to then at night start working with red maple um and doing chef dinners you know at night on the side and stuff like that and that was really when it, it really opened my eyes and yeah. changed my world and my perspective on, on what my dreams really were within this industry and within this art. And because forever it was, 
you know, you're an art, you're an artist and you, you know, you're, you're willing to live in poverty and, you know, be a slave in a dungeon, and, you know, as long as the art is there, you know, and like, and so in that, that, that plays for a while. Um, but uh, it was, I was so lucky with Red Maple because it, it got me out of the, the restaurant, it, but yet still allowed me to be just as creative um, day in and day out, you know, with what I was doing. So you still were able to scratch that artistic yeah. need, uh, you know, in, in doing this. So that keeps the passion and the love alive. And then, you know, because the business is so different of, you know, what we do versus in a traditional restaurant, you know, life gets a little bit easier, quality a little better. So exactly. That was the biggest thing too. What's the business that model? Quality of life shift. Or let's, so 2016, 2017, what's the business model of Red Maple then? And then we can kind of compare it right to the traditional. Well, so, model. so in one of the things that when Jason Harrison and Fletcher Harrison, not related, but when they, when they founded Red Maple and Vale, um, they both, you know, Jason comes from uh, very high end. He he ran all of uh, food and beverage catering for Bellagio for like 15 years in Vegas. So very, very over the top high end luxury banquet events and stuff like that. And, you know, just that world. Fletcher's world was more front of the house. He's a master psalm. You know, he went to culinary school as well, though, so he knows the food side. Uh, but he opened Ritz Carlton's and stuff like that. So both coming from that very, very high end luxury hotel world. Um, and they basically got together and were like, dude, let's do this, but screw the corporateness of it. Like, that's what's such BS about the industry. Once you get to, <laughs> we talked about that artisticness, right? There's a fine line of, 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 crossing into that corporate world within the industry of well shit now i'm an executive chef and i just sit there and push paper and and look at numbers and and food costs all day long mm -hmm. you know so but i'm making you know 120 grand a year <laughs> you know so there's that trade-off that you know but you got to fill that you know artistic need and so jason and fletcher were able to be like hey screw the corporate side of it let's you know let's have that same clientele that we have at the hotels and everything, but let's do this, you know, without the hotel. And so right off the bat, so I think that was around 2014, something like that, um, when they were kind of having this idea. And then, like I say, two years later, when I was kind of fully the chef de cuisine there and, and was definitely kind of into the day-to-day -day operations thick, um, that model had proven to flourish Gotcha. by then because – um, you know, in that, that approach to it, because again, we, we, we were able to not bring in any product or labor, um, outside of the, you know, main core in the early days, um, without having it correlated to a sale. So if, you know, I'm, I'm attaching, we, we, in a traditional restaurant, you've got to have let's say, you know, just shouting out numbers, but, you know, in a fine dining, traditional, small restaurant, let's say you have a hundred seats in it. You've got to have 10 solid guys, you know, or crew back there in the kitchen and 20, 25 solid servers, mm -hmm. you know, in the front of the house, you've got to have, you know, roughly 20 grand, $30,000 of product 
on your shelves in the kitchen uh, to be able to prep and, you know, make that, have the ability to even create that one dish to sell. So there's all these costs and everything that are, you inherently have to have to potentially to even have the open your doors to potentially make that one sale. And we found really early on that, and, and, and this is, this kind of is catering in general a little bit, but um, we, the biggest difference within catering, what was already going on in catering, what we did was who it was, who our clientele mm-hmm. was and is, you know, we, we were going to take, um, we were going to give you, there's a, a line that I like to say, I used to say it all the time when I'd come home from an awesome dinner or something and I'd call Fletcher or Jason. Um, <laughs> but I'd say, I'd say they were expecting the caterer and they got red maple. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, so it, it, we just, we did what the industry was already doing within catering and just really fine tuned it and, and applied those techniques culinary wise from a fine dining perspective but then also we applied the points of service that you find in fine dining to an in-home eight per you know dinner in your home so you get that same level of expertise and, and precision to but then you're doing it in the comfort of of the home and everything that really exploded so, so you're doing private dinners but you're also doing like weddings and big events yeah so and that's the other thing we you know I talked about the the create the creative side. The possibilities are endless in what we do. So now, so any culinary event or uh, experience you want to have or can think up, we can facilitate and execute for you. So, like we've had clients that'll come to us and say, "Hey, you know, I want to. You know, we had a we came skiing last winter and had uh, a chef dinner, but I'm, my daughter is getting married next." you know, year, do y'all do weddings as well? And that early on, like our first year, that's when it was like, okay, we need to look at, you know, that's something that we really, and that was always on like, always going to be part of the business, but that was really like the light bulb that was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So once we really broke into that market and that kind of currently where I'm at with park city, um, is you, you kind of break into it by having chef dinners, things like that. Then you break into the weddings and, and larger things, and that gets you your summer business and everything like that. So we were able to do any culinary event however you want it. So that same daughter, but she wants to have the wedding on the side of a mountain. Okay. <laughs> well, we will rent a kitchen and basically have it delivered up there, set it up. And underneath a huge luxury, you know, this amazing tent with chandeliers and stuff in it will be your event space and we'll have a kitchen tent you know right there but because of that we're able to do a five course plated dinner for 250 at some ranch halfway up the mountain at 10,000 feet do you <laughs> so do you have physical locations kitchens we do we do we have production kitchens um that we also do tastings out of and stuff like nice. that for like weddings um so we've got um a kitchen down in eagle which is about 30 minutes outside of vale uh, which Eagle is now blown up, which is crazy. Um, and then they've got a kitchen and barn, actually, event space in Texas. Um, and they're about an hour outside of Dallas. Um, and then currently we're in the stages here of transitioning from commissary space, um, which is shared kitchen space, um, to 
to our permanent uh, spot out here. And so that's that's typically the timeline is about a year. This Friday is Black Friday with Engineered Sleep. They have an incredible deal, 15% off store-wide. That is everything, up to $700 off, not just your mattress, but everything. So accessories, frames, pillows, uh, 15% off, up to $700, free shipping within the United States. So go visit them at their showroom in Greenville, South Carolina, or go to their website, engineeredsleep.com. No promo code needed. Everything is already added. The price is already added. Um, so 15% off everything. Go visit them in their showroom or at engineeredsleep.com. Most importantly, get yourself a new mattress or accessories so you start sleeping better and in turn performing better on a daily basis. Engineeredsleep.com, Black Friday sale ends December 1st. When did, uh, when did you start thinking you wanted to be an owner and get into it that way? with red maple um well so it's actually kind of funny sam i was thinking about that earlier today uh just kind of thinking about this this kind of call and everything and um i started with red maple um as to be the chef de cuisine um for their food concept partnership with Vale brewing company so Vail Brewing Company approached Red Maple to launch the food concept for their tasting room in Vail Village. And at the time, I was just doing dinners for Red Maple. Mm -hmm. And I had success in doing those that they approached me and like, hey, will you run this entity and this operation? So um, I think kind of always with Red Maple, I guess, there was always a little bit, you know, it took until, you know, last year to really to where it made sense for me to become an owner and own something of Red Maples. Um, but but there was always, you know, I was always wanting a, a piece, sure. <laughs> you know, something in some way, because, you know, I I was working in the industry when, you know, all of you guys were still finishing up, sure. you know, the, the, the senior laps and stuff at Carolina <laughs> and everything. So I, I had been, I had been slaving away in the kitchen for like two years already. So, um, but, but yeah, so, I mean, I'd been, I'd been working in that kind of life for, you know, 10, 11 years mm -hmm. already. So, you know, I, I, I definitely put my, paid my dues, I think at that point, and so that's kind of when you start looking at it a little bit differently. And up until I started working with Red Maple, I always thought that I would own a restaurant. Yeah, I'd own a restaurant. I would, and I thought I would would be the chef, you know. And every and then as you get further <laughs> along with that, you're like, man, you really can't, you know, if you really want to have it be a successful business, like you can't be that guy and that guy. And then, um, well, you can, but it's very hard. But uh, but then when I got with Red Maple, that's really when it was like, okay, this this is something this works yeah and that was the other thing too is the second i started with them my first dinner you know i looked at what i looked at the revenue that was generated and and i i think back of the experience of that dinner and it was just like yeah this is this is what i want to do it really makes a lot of sense as a business model and a quality of life for yourself and you know your partners seems like you get a much higher quality of life and maybe a little less stress than a traditional restaurant. Sam, you're like, you hit the nail right on the head. I mean, I'm very lucky that I, I, I you know, I say it all the time. I, I made it out. 
right? I made it out alive. Okay. <laughs> I know people that literally that haven't, right? And I mean, you know, it's a very real thing nowadays. You know, it's becoming a lot more, I guess we'll say popular to, you know, or, or accepted rather of talking about mental health and, and mental stress and stuff like that and anxieties and, and things like that. When I was at High Cotton, I got wheeled out of that kitchen in a stretcher because of extreme dehydration and, and literally my body yeah. seized up and I was wheeled out in a stretcher. I remember seeing like the dish pit and like <laughs> server station. And I just remember thinking like, dude, damn you are not going to be that asshole that dies in the kitchen. Like you're not, you're not that, like, Hey, but literally that's a true story. Mm -hmm. And so, and it was because that was the height of the drinking. That's the height of the party. Yep. And this is kind of the unknown underbelly of the industry. And it's something that Anthony Bourdain touched on, you know, the great Anthony Bourdain. Um, he exposed that underbelly and which is why people were like, why kitchen confidential is one of the greatest books ever. Right. Yep. And I, you know, I live right in that world and I assure you it it's legit. And the crazy thing was, and this is what's not talked about a lot is within the industry, the ones who in a restaurant, most restaurants, the ones who excel and, and really climb up the ladder quickly are the ones that can party. They're the ones that can hang after hours. And they're the ones that are there before everybody else the next morning they're the ones that are still getting it done throughout the service, going harder than everybody else. And, and that's just not a sustainable lifestyle, <laughs> like at all. And, and it's so bad mental health, physical health all the way around, but it's an inherent thing that is, that is a cancer yeah. in the restaurant industry is that, that coming up that rite of passage kind of stuff. And, like we talked about, you know, right at the beginning of this, I used to be a professional at it. <laughs> so, you know, I was leading that journey. If I, you oh, know, right I, I might not have cleaned my station the best, but God, I can order those shots the best at the bar. But, um, but literally, I mean, I, I made it out of that lifestyle, and and there are still people because literally, you you have to have this moment. I I had I had it and it's this moment where all of a sudden you're on the line and you look up and you look around and you go, Oh my God, I've got to change something or else I'm going to be like that guy who's 45 years old, yeah. 50 years old, still, still banging on the line. Yeah. You know, as a line cook, like that, that's a young man's game. I can promise you like, and so that is a tough thing um, that I'm very lucky and very man. fortunate that I was able to shift, you know, kind of transition out of that that lifestyle and you got to give yourself a lot of credit for having that awareness you know and like finding a way to pivot and get out of that industry because you did recognize it's not healthy it's not what you wanted to do well I, I appreciate that i think i think i was lucky i think it was more luck than anything <laughs> but but i mean yeah you do i mean that was definitely always a thought it was like dude i'm not gonna be yeah. some 45 year old you know dude cooking on the line anymore like there's got to be a there's more to all this and when i was in Vail, that was like that was when it was the heaviest for sure and the craziest and by by transitioning out of that world into things with red maple i mean it was a saving grace for me for sure um because it's a tough it's a tough world to remove yourself sure. from 
and and because that's what it's it's so important for so long and and it means so much of your progression i think um a lot of people don't admit that either yeah you're right they or they don't yeah they don't admit it with uh but right challenges they're always going to come and take me to what i think probably march 10th march 11th 2020 covid we're starting to hear about it what are you guys doing at red maple and then do you when do you realize like oh shit like this is going to be a big deal. So I think, um, I think that, um, when, like I say, it was, I guess it was January of 2020. And that was when we were starting to scope out park city mm-hmm. and we came and visited park city, um, myself and my partners. And, um, we were like, hell yeah, like this is going to be kick-ass. Like this is so going to work. Um, and, um, and then flash forward, you know, a couple months later and in March, you know, of, of 2020 and all of a sudden, you know, I, I was a Friday, I was driving to a dinner and, um, to a dinner. And that's when it came over the local radio or whatever in Vail, uh, that Rob Katz had announced that he was going to close Vail Resorts for the remainder of the season. We're talking, mid, you know, early March, still, still got a full last push of the ski season. Uh, Business wise, you know, 2019, we had our best year. We were cranking January, February of 2021, uh, or I'm sorry, of 2020. And then um, I got to that event in the first like hour of that event. The guests are on their phones trying to get flights out of Vail, and there's just like none to be found. I mean, it was like oh, the world had ended, and, and I mean, within like hours, it was crazy. And there was this just like notion of like, oh my god! Blah, blah, blah. And the next morning, Saturday morning, I got to work and I got to the kitchen, and I went over to the wall where we have our banquet event orders, our BEOs hanging up, and I literally just went over and like started getting relayed these cancellations from the office to me and i'm like i took down like fifty thousand dollars of business just like like that like within minutes of of, of like 9 a.m to like 9 35 mm-hmm. that saturday morning it was just like cancel 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 yeah. cancel cancel and so that was the that was the last push of our season you know and so <clears throat> it was uh i had never seen that look in uh, in Fletcher or Jason's eyes and, and Fletcher had been a restaurant owner during the 0708 crash mm-hmm. or 0809 crash for restaurant. And so, and he, I just, I heard, I'll never forget this. I heard him kind of utter under his breath after he took, he came over and took down one off the wall and he just uttered under his breath. He was like, it's just like 07. Dang. And like kept walking. And so like, so w- that was what we were experiencing, right? We, we, and you had already heard me talk about our model, right? We, you know, yeah, that's future business that we're losing and, and you know, it's lost and everything like that. But, you know, we, we could scale down immediately. We could, we were already set up to do, you know, we already did deliveries, in-home chef dinners. I mean, we already did everything that the rest of the industry had to kind of pivot into doing um, being in traditional restaurants, you know, offering that, uh, curbside delivery, offering outdoor seating, stuff like that. 
And here's something interesting about that bit. And, you know, you heard me talk earlier about I was very pessimistic about how the industry would survive it. When they pivoted and did outdoor seating, so that was, you know, spring, late spring into the summer, Mm -hmm. right? Well, I was like, what's going to happen in the fall and winter when it's cold as shit outside? And they, were you going to bring in heaters? And that's exactly what they did. (laughs) But I, in my mind, I'm like, only 50% of people that want to go out to eat are willing to eat outside. Maybe 25% of those people are willing to eat outside when it's cold as shit. Maybe only 15% of those people are willing to eat outside underneath a heater. So I'm sitting there going, you already have 25% occupancy restrictions. And then you're going to slice that in half because of the environment and experience that one is able to have, you know, given that. And people still came. So, I mean, you know, you build it, they'll come. But but that was where I was like, what's going to happen when it gets, you know, cold? But we were we were already set up to, you know, to do all that stuff. And, and we actually kind of saw we, you know, there was that first initial shock of losing all that business. And, and mainly knowing that you've lost your summer wedding business, because that was the biggest thing is like, Oh my God, well, we're all, you know, restaurants have this occupancy problem, but guess what? Now, so do we, yeah, there's a lot more gray area and everything. Sure. But, but you know, we we the days of doing 200 cover weddings, you know, they're at that time they're over. Yeah. You know, so um, that was I think a big thing. No, you know, for us figuring out how to you know fill that in but business wise. Were, but but y'all were uniquely set up to already have a lot of this in place, which is like kind of crazy to think about that y'all had no idea. But then it hits you're like, wait, we have these. We have these drop-off menus. We have this catering service. We can go to somebody's house if they're comfortable and, you know, do their party, which, so y'all are way ahead Absolutely. of the game. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, we were very lucky in that sense. And, and like, you know, right when it happened, you know, so end of March, you know, we took out a, mar- you know, we did uh, big marketing runs of, of showcasing those drop-off menus that we already, you know, did and stuff like that. And, and so we saw that bit of the business, you know, tick up, obviously. Um, and which, again, like you said, it was great. We were already set up to do that. We didn't have to change anything about our business or even our operation to to um, to uh, to accommodate that. And, you know, I, I, like I say, I just really didn't think that, you know, the industry would would have have done as well as they yeah. did through all of that. Um, because, and I, you know, I just applaud, you know, everyone who, who supported their local restaurants and, and things like that during that time and, and the industry in general during that time. I mean, it was so wild and it's still, it's still one of the, you know, hardest hit industries coming, you know, back out of COVID and everything. Now you tack on, you know, we've got labor issues that are, which is just crazy, um, you know, and, and that was the other thing, Sam, is that during that, a lot of people won't really shed light on is that, you know, we talked about the traditional restaurant model, having all that labor in place Well, all of a sudden when people could not go to that kitchen and that dungeon and that slavery lifestyle, you know, right. When they, they could then collect an unemployment check that was all of a sudden twice as much as their biweekly paycheck. Yep. 
well, you know, they're chilling. They're, yeah. they're not going to get back to that. And that was, that was right at the time when the industry really needed a lot of people to come back because it started, because think about last year, right? Last, like, you know, fall and Christmas trying to go out to eat. And even now still trying to go out to eat. Like it's so hard to, to have good help yep. and good labor in, in restaurants nowadays. And, and it's because of, I mean, I think the workforce in general has shifted through this time. A lot more people are realizing they can do freelance stuff. Mm-hmm. They can do, you know, side gigs that are, you know, making just as much money, da, da, da. And so it's shit. It's ch- the, the, the landscape has changed a little bit within the labor force in general. And I think it's been highlighted within the restaurant industry. Yeah, I agree. Did, um, <clears throat> did you at Red Maple, did y'all, uh, come up with any virtual options or offerings? So, uh, yeah, it was interesting that it just kind of, you know, we, we obviously realized, you know, once COVID hit and everything and almost overnight, people were doing exactly what we're doing, having zoom meetings and, and calls and stuff like that. And like, that was pretty clear that like, that was going to be how work was going to be conducted moving forward. Um, you know, for the most part. And so, yeah, we definitely wanted to figure out a way to tap into that. Um, cause we did see that being a thing. Uh, and so we were able to partner with a company called global Avento and they do corporate gifting and they pivoted into doing more virtual corporate gifting. Mm-hmm. And, um, one of the things that, uh, I was able to do early on was we, um, I got in with them as kind of the expert, uh, advice on setting up these in-home herb gardening kits. And so, you know, I'd, do a spiel on, you know, setting all that up and, and, you know, my knowledge on gardening and growing herbs in general and stuff like that and how to utilize the ingredients. But <laughs> from there, we saw such an explosion of those things, Global Evento and myself. And, and we were like, wow, like let's, so we actually, I started working a little closer with them on developing more of these classes and experiences. And so we started doing a, a spice grinding class, a knife, a knife sharpening class, you know? So like, I would have never thought that like, you know, you'd be conducting a, how to sharpen your knife over a virtual <laughs> call. Who'd ever thought. And, so, and like, I, you know, so yeah, like that's, I think, and this is something that we, you know, I think a lot of us within the industry and, and, and just kind of ownership in general during those times kind of looked at it as, look, this is going to be, this is a shitty, shitty thing that's happening with COVID and everything like that. This is awful, but through awful turmoil and turbulence and tumultuous shifting and stuff like that, it creates cracks and it creates opportunities. And, and so, and I think that's the perspective that people had to have and you, and you have to have in general to really be continue to drive success and stuff like that is you can't look at any obstacle as as an obstacle it's simply an opportunity Mm -hmm. to figure out a way to exploit the situation or or to leverage it or capitalize off of it or however you want to look at it and though that to me was you know kind of we were all kind of talking it's like those are the ones that are going to be able to tide through this just fine and and be even better on the other end and that was one of the reasons too that when we were kind of you know launching park city you know, watching Red Maple Park City in the through the very midst of that summer, 
of, of COVID and everything. I mean, the, the, you know, the rules and regulations, they were changing by the hour, you know? So like, and we, you know, we navigated all through that. And so now because of that, we're positioned to have, you know, have an explosive second year out here and, um, and, and yeah, and, and creating virtual experiences and, (laughs) and stuff like that. It's, it's only taken me further and further down the rabbit hole of like what's possible you know, virtually. And, and, you know, my, I would love to do a virtual like wedding. That would be, that would be that just, just amazing. And, but, uh, but yeah, so it's, it's been very fun as a, you know, as an owner uh, to create and think of these different ways to where we can capitalize on, on, unique things that never were a thing you know well that's a great point and analogy that you said like when things get tough cracks will appear and from those cracks you're going to find opportunity it's going to be people that rise to the top they're going to figure out solutions to these cracks right and they're going to come up with new businesses or new virtual experiences just like you mentioned and you know now you've you've been in the industry for whatever 15 16 17 years yeah. something like that 15 years or so yeah how do you feel now having more like creative control and like changing things up and doing things that you think might could be a good twist to to uh dishes well between you between you and i i kind of always did that <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it wasn't always to my benefit, but but I, I did always kind of like to do what I wanted to do with it. No, uh, that's funny, but um, no, I it's it's I've I think very early on, um, I so when I was at High Cotton, I guess was when I was a tournament chef there. And so entry management level in a kitchen and you're starting to, you know, contribute a couple specials here and there and stuff like that. And um, I was doing a lot of specials and, and stuff by the time I was or not. And, um, and one of the things that I saw right off the bat that I had, like, that always blew my mind of why it wasn't more of a thing up until that point in time, I'd always, you know, witnessed back of house and front of house division and and you know the the cooks are always bitching at the servers and you know mm-hmm. yeah that's always the everybody always thinks that's how the industry is right and it, unfortunately that is kind of true and I always thought that was bullshit because if you think about it business wise those are your salesmen those are the ones selling your product your heart and soul your your vision for this dish you know they're selling that. So it never made sense to me to put, to like put a wedge there, you know? And so I, from the rip, I always, from very beginning of when I had that opportunity to showcase a dish that I came up with or a special or whatever, I always made it a a point to be sure the servers understood it, be sure the servers tried it and tasted it. um, And then they understood the dish, the why I did it this way or why we do it that way. And then they then you you watch sales, you know, all of a sudden that special sold out. And I also knew that if if by doing that, that was going to make that special sell out inherently faster. Well, that made me look better. (laughs) So that made my specials look better. Right. And so and it was just simply through sales tactic. Right. And so and seeing that those are your people, that's, you know, and and knowing who your people are. But uh, 
I saw that one early on, I, I, you know, and so that was always something I focused on. And then I remember being at the tent and doing a, a lobster special. And at this point I was further up in management. So I actually did have the authority to like conduct uh, like uh, sales challenges and, and stuff like that uh, incentives for the servers and things like that. And so I said, you know, Hey, whoever's at the, at the beginning of the service that line up, when I was explaining the dish, I said, I've got 12 of these. Whoever sells the most, the fastest, will get anything on the menu for lunch. I'll make it for you, you know, after service. And and I, I sold out of it, like, <laughs> like the first turn, <laughs> like, just like that. And and so, um, but, you know, so I've, all, I've really enjoyed knowing that's who – you've got to convince to get behind your dishes to really make them fly. And, um, and then that transcended into uh, having them know the whole, the entire menu and applying that to the whole menu and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So for me, creatively though, um, that was probably the, the height of my um, um, fulfillment in, in the restaurant was creatively was being able to to do that kind of stuff like that now creatively i here's a here's a big thing it's hard to um it's hard to get people to just to to just love and eat your food yeah. right and too many chefs have this bs mentality of like oh well i'm a chef and my food is just it, it's it's it's, you know, you're doing me a favor to eat, to come and eat my food at my restaurant, which is so <laughs> bullshit. Unless you're Massimo or them, those guys at Noma or, you know, the number one three Michelin star restaurants in the world, unless you're culinary gods like that, get out of here with that nonsense. <laughs> and so for me, I always thought that was BS. So for me, the only way that I could get you as the guest or as a client to really allow me the creative control and creative freedom is to is through trust i've got to establish your trust and the way the easiest way that i saw to do that is to present you with something that is very approachable it's very it's known you know you've had a meatloaf dish before you've had a ravioli dish before or whatever so at first glance you know you're not intimidated by the menu you're not you know, if you don't know stuff, verbiage or what, you know, no crazy verbiage or anything like that, you know, because again, these are all things that, you know, make people a little hesitant, right? And so they they firm up, you know, they, they harden up. You got to soften people up into that. The only way that I've seen you do that is through trust. Yeah. And so that so menu-wise, that's what I like to do is give you something that's approachable, that you might know, you might have had it before, but yet I then impart the knowledge that I've you know, collected over the years and impart that technique wise and skill wise to it that way using ingredients that I know to and use the freshest of the ability. Um, and then you kind of marry those two things together to then give it to you, the client or you, the guest. And all of a sudden they're going, Oh my God, well, I've had a ravioli dish, but shit, I've never had a ravioli dish like that. And it's because you've, you've made the ravioli in house by hand You've made the bolognese sauce, you know, one, you know, properly. And so all those little things that you, that, you know, in the restaurant industry, we're able to, to then give you in your own home 
and it, it just it, it's a, it blows people's minds that that can be duplicated when they're sitting there in their slippers, you know, at their at their kitchen table. Um, so that to me now is where I get the the creative fix is that- is by giving it to you that way, and then after you've had that one meal, then you say, "Well, you know, we've got some availability the next couple nights of our vacation." You want to come back and do another one on Saturday night? Yeah, sure. What are we thinking for menu? Oh, this was fantastic. Do whatever you want. Well, at that <laughs> point, you've come, you've come right to where I want you to be, and know, and and letting me do and cook for you what I whatever I want. And I've done that through <laughs> trust. And to me, that's the only way to do it. I, I think to do that through, oh, my food is the best, or yeah. you know, it's this new crazy way to do it. It's just such bullshit. And I love it because, <laughs> dude, trust is honestly like anything in life if you can gain somebody's trust you're really going to gain you know open themselves up as a person to be able to trust you to whatever you're trying to get across right and this is going to be a thanksgiving special and i'm pumped dude we reached you reached out i didn't even think about it but we we are recording the t- the monday before thanksgiving and with that said i'm sure you know some amazing turkey preparations and fixings so give me what you do at Red Maple for your guest preparing the turkey. So um, it's kind of interesting, you know, when you get into the restaurant industry and everything, holidays become just like another crazy day at the office. <laughs> <laughs> so in uh, Thanksgiving is definitely uh, no exception. And so um, every restaurant I've actually ever worked at, uh, we've always, I've always worked a Thanksgiving service and, you know, so there's so much involved with all of that. And then at Red Maple, what we do is we do more of just the traditional fare uh, of what you would find, you know, so, and we do that as solely as a drop-off. So, you know, we can, you can have, you know, 12 of your family, 24 of your family, whatever, and we can essentially drop off all of Thanksgiving, you know, ready Dang. for you. Um, and so, you know, we do a, an apple cider brine, uh, turkey that we brine for two days and, uh, brining is a, a salt liquid mixture, uh, that basically what it does is when you submerge a protein into a brine mixture, um, it breaks down the kinetic tissues in it. And then when you go to cook it later on, what the result is, is you get a much more tender, juicier, uh, bite, you know, bite in there. And so, especially with something like Turkey or chicken, uh, we're always brining things like that, uh, pork. Um, but with the Turkey, you'll go, we'll go two days with it. And then we just do a simple roast on it, salt and pepper rub. And then, uh, you know, 400 for the first 30 minutes and then crank it down to 325 for about another three and a half, four hours. And, um, they're just, I think, Last year, a couple years ago, uh, one of our busiest years at Red Maple doing turkeys. I, when I started with them, we were, we were only doing roasted birds and being from the South like we are. I, I was like, well, you know, we should we should offer a fried turkey. Yeah. Fried turkey is pretty good. And so I started frying birds and I took that over. And it, it was so ridiculous that the year after I did, I think I fried like 30 birds that whole day, um, <laughs> which is nuts. But, um, but we... Um, well, so we, I, I love, we pretty, I mean, we've done so many of them that that really is just such a great way to do it. But then we also, we offer the, 
Yukon gold with black, uh, black Italian truffle salt mashed potatoes. We've got the French green beans with chanterelle mushrooms on it, kind of a spin on a green bean and mushroom casserole. Uh, we do an aged Welsh cheddar mac and cheese. We've got the cornbread stuffing with foie gras in it. That's just over the top. Um, give, me your, we do. give me your spiel on the uh, cornbread stuffing foie gras. So, uh, well, everyone always usually does stuffing with like, you know, a sourdough bread or whatever. Um, and I love it that way. We started doing it with cornbread just to kind of, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting after you like leave the South and like duplicate Southern food elsewhere in the world, people flip, over it. especially if you could do it like proper, you know, it's, uh, people just like lose their shit over like properly done Southern food in places. Uh, and so in Vail, people, you know, you get people from like Dallas or anywhere in the South and all of a sudden they're like, oh, well, we're having legit. Anyway, so that's where I came up with the cornbread thing. And, um, and then Jason, my partner, was like, you know, let's add foie gras to it. It's like, well, absolutely, let's add foie gras to it. So it's uh, just a regular cornbread. We dry it out, and then we toss that in duck fat. And then we add uh, some mirepoix to that, and then, which is so blonde mirepoix, though, so onions, garlic, celery, lots of thyme, rosemary, cream, garlic, uh, and then we take foie gras, sear that, and then puree it and add it into that cream mixture. And that's what's the binder in the the cornbread stuffing. Then we bake that off. And then when you, you cool it, portion it, and when you portion it on the reheat, you brush it with that duck fat again. And it's just – it's it's real Lord good. Mercy, <laughs> it's, it's really good. <laughs> Well, Lee, man, um, this has been an absolute pleasure having you on. No, Sam, likewise. I mean, like I say, I can, I can talk, I can talk food for days and days and days and anything surrounding it. It's, uh, it's, there's, there, it's like you were saying earlier, you, you, it's so relatable mm -hmm. and, and transcends into so many different areas of life. And, and it's been an absolute pleasure to have, have, been in the industry as long as i haven't done what i've done and continue doing what i do mm -hmm. within it um it's just such a such a wonderful thing and and thank you for allowing me to be on to to, to share and talk about it for a little Dude, while it's amazing where would uh if somebody wants to link up with you guys at red maple where should they go uh so you can go to www.redmaplecatering.com um and you can find our contact information there um as we've got uh different sales uh you know people through that so absolutely just go to the website there and you can find our contact link through that that also links uh to all three of our locations through that one main web our main website there so um and you can also see the menus and stuff that we offer um some of the events that we've done uh there's some pretty amazing stuff on there amazing dude and uh lastly a little uh off topic here but dude who would have thought we're, we'd both be engaged to some amazing Ladies. I know, I know. It's so crazy. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you want to talk about ramblers. I mean, you know, that's that, that was us. And then all of a sudden, you know, you turn around, all of a sudden I, I moved to Park City and, you know, the business gets kicking off. I get engaged. I, I look over, Sam's engaged, you know, and it's just, uh, that's the other thing too, right, man? It's just, it's, 
this beautiful life that we live, it's just so cool and fun. And it's, you know, ever changing, evolving. And, Mm -hmm. you know, every, every chapter is different, but you know, the story is still just as cool. So that's right. It's a, it's a blast. Well, dude, it's been awesome watching your journey and actually really seeing your journey from the very beginning. I cannot wait to see what y'all have going next, next locations. And dude, I mean, who knows the, the opportunities are endless for you. The sky is the freaking limit. So, um, Again, thanks for coming on, man. Maybe we'll do this next Thanksgiving. We can make it a little special. Yeah, but, um, absolutely. I love it. It's been a pleasure. Sam, thank you, my man. It's, uh, likewise, that's a two-way street, my friend. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, click subscribe on your listening platform for upcoming conversations.